Hello, friends, and welcome to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast. Uh, today, I'm excited to have my new friend Jory on the podcast. He does a podcast of his own, actually, called The Methods Podcast. And we connected on Instagram quite a while ago and just been chatting on there just about meditation, contemplation, um, centering prayer. Uh, he comes from a Christian tradition, but his podcast takes a look at the contemplative practice from a lot of different faith traditions and religions. And I just so appreciate the production value that he's put into his podcast. And I'm excited to actually have a chat with him today so you get to actually hear a little bit of the story of the man that does such a great work in the meditation and contemplation space on the internet. So Jory, um, he has his own podcast uh, that he posts on iTunes, but also he is a contributor to Insight Timer. And if any of you are a part of the Spiritual Nomad world on Instagram, you will know that Insight Timer has been one of my favorite apps for years. I've been promoting that app with no compensation. I just genuinely love it for a long time. And Jory is a contributor to that app, and that makes me really, really happy. He is excellent at what he does, and I'm excited for you to hear more about his story and how he really found meditation and contemplative practices helpful for him. Uh, lastly, thank you for your grace for the week of not being able to post. Uh, I was out of town, and uh, you know, just things happen and life happens. So I appreciate your grace in the delay. Um, but I hope this episode will make up for it. We have a lot of good episodes coming up here in the future. So if you don't mind, subscribe, maybe leave a rating, uh, follow me on Instagram. I'm on there quite often. It's at the underscore spiritual underscore nomad, uh, and connect with me there. You have a lot of good stuff rolling out. And I will digress on that because you need to listen to this conversation with my new friend, Jory from the Methods Podcast. A few weeks ago, Jory invited me on to the Methods Podcast just to talk about my journey uh, encountering contemplative uh, prayer, centering prayer, meditation, how that's been incorporated. And uh, while we were talking and he was asking me questions and about my journey, immediately I started feeling like I wanted to ask him the same thing. Like, wait a second, you're making these little comments and just kind of passing on. And so immediately I was like, we need to chat on the Spiritual Nomad podcast about some of your journey and, uh, you know, where you're at and how you're helping people and uh, all that jazz. So, Jory, I'm excited to have you on Spiritual Nomad podcast. And uh, thanks for getting off work really quick and jumping straight on to Zoom. I appreciate it, man. <laughs> no, thank you for having me on. So when we were recording a few weeks ago and you were asking me just a few questions, something that you passed by really quick that really grabbed my attention is you were like, yeah, my pastor said da 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 you know. And for me in the spiritual nomad community that's, you know, taken shape, Many of us, including myself, are people who are likely ex-evangelicals, if you will, you know, that right. famous term and also podcast as well. You know, ex-evangelicals, we find ourselves outside of church communities. Um, that's where the, the name of this show came from, is people who are spiritual but aren't committed and connected to like an organization or institution. You know, they're people who are maybe roaming, trying to find out where they really fit in the whole spiritual world. Um, and so 
a lot of times when I'm talking to people or have guests on or whatever, a comment they don't make is my pastor said blank. <laughs> yeah. So when you said that, I'm like, wait a second, especially following that up with one of the things that you sent me a DM about was like, Hey, do you want to do a meditation? What tradition would you like to do a meditation in the Sufi tradition, the Hindu tradition, the Buddhist? I'm like, okay, we got to <laughs> unpack a little bit about this guy that does a meditation podcast in all sorts of traditions yet makes comments like my pastor said. So, uh, really quick, what, what kind of church do you go to? Where's it at? Where, and where are you by the way? So I am in Salisbury, Maryland, which is like about a half hour from Ocean City, from the beach. Um, and I, I go to a, a small uh, cooperative Baptist fellowship church called uh, the Restoration Project in Salisbury. So it's, it's uh, I don't really identify myself as Baptist. <laughs> But me and the the pastor go go way back from uh, from days when I was in the kind of like a non denominational type thing, um, and you know played on the worship team and um, played worship worship guitar and uh, and he sang and played guitar as well, so that that's where I know him from. And uh, he's actually a um, PhD in Old Testament, and so he branched off and started this small church plant uh, in our town. And I was always just riveted by the the information that he would just call up, you know, at at uh, at whim, and uh, just getting a deeper context to the Bible. Because I was at a point where I either thought that okay, well, the Bible is you know uh, the uninspired, the the inspired, uh, inerrant uh, word of God, or it's just a bunch of stuff. Right. And, and uh, he kind of helped me look deeper. And like, as the, as the Rob Bell saying goes, there's something more going on here. Yes. And, and uh, yeah. And so like from, from talking to him and, and going there, uh, it just became much more interesting than I had ever been told and taught. And uh and so, so that's, that's where I'm, uh, I'm staying because it, it offers kind of like an in-between uh, space for people that have come out from that evangelical uh, scene, but aren't maybe, maybe aren't completely ready to like leave the faith or maybe they've left the faith because of some past trauma and hurts and then are kind of sticking their toe back in the water and seeing like, okay, does this Christianity still have anything to say for yeah. me in my culture and in, in our political and social climate? You know, what, what, what do we have to say? And so it's, uh, our church is big on like social justice issues and raising awareness and, you know, historical critical context with the, with the Bible. Um, so, Which is yeah. pretty wild for like a church that's associated to the Baptist, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of uh, weird, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you wouldn't initially think that, cause, you know, even we were chatting with you before we started recording and I'm like, it's gotta be some sort of progressive church or something. All the while I go to a, now a mainline denomination church. I'm actually, I'm now like essentially on staff there, you know, and, um, am, and it's like, 
well, I never would have thought that a Disciples of Christ church, you know, would have been so in the same vein of like what you're saying either. So, you know, hey, I stand to be corrected. Yeah. You never know where you're going to find people who are open and willing. And I think that's like the the framework that we're in today, right? Is that like if people are more and more in the evangelical circle, like conservative and gripping and white knuckling their faith and their inerrancy and their, you know, all Jesus is, you know, the only way and God and all that, you know, it's like they're either doing that or they're going to have to start and are starting to, I think, awaken to the reality of like a more expansive theology, which is, I, I think is, um, happening all over the place, including where you're at. I'm literally on the other side of the United States, you know? So it's like, it's happening here too, you know, in, in San Diego. Um, so when you were playing and, you know, I want to just chat a little bit about your story and then I really want to get into where it comes like to the meditation piece and all of that. Um, Cause that's really, I think where we connected online a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But you mentioned that you were playing music in evangelical church, which I'm a drummer and guitar player too. So I found myself in the same places, you know, and uh, well, what was the, I did a, a podcast series called institutional exodus about people leaving the church in droves mm-hmm. and people like me and like you and other people that have been on, apparently something wasn't working. You know, there was something that was either dishonest or just belief shifting that you were doing or that the church was doing like white knuckling a little bit more. There was, there were things happening. Uh, What put you, you know, or did someone remove you from the camp or did you feel like this just maybe isn't the best place for, for where I'm growing into like in the evangelical circle. We have a lot of people that listen from that camp. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up in a kind of like a country Methodist church. And then about when I was like 12 or 13, my parents decided to start going to this non-denominational like evangelistic church. And um, I won't I won't drop the name, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and so I started going with them and I had been um, uh, doing like martial arts and stuff at the time. And so I was reading like the Hagakure and like uh, Musashi stuff and like the Tao Te Ching and um, like all this Eastern philosophy and practice. Mm. And uh, when they started going to the evangelistic church, that kind of got, uh, I wouldn't say beat out of me, but it was highly discouraged because it was kind of uh, this dualistic mentality of, if it's not church sanctioned and it's not uh, resembling like Christendom and the things of Christianity, then it's evil. Right. Much, right. And so uh, I remember vividly and, you know, some of the, some of the things that I look back to don't, they didn't seem as traumatic until I reflect on them. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Like, we're like, I remember microwaving, um, Lincoln Park CDs and like <laughs> tossing CDs out the window and you know uh, just because secular music was of the devil you know it was obviously uh, clearly yeah and so <laughs> I remember the first Bible study I went to at that church uh, the guy was like oh yeah bring your guitar we'll jam blah 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 so I brought my guitar and like I grew up on like classic rock and southern rock and stuff and so 
I start playing like Leonard Skinner or ACDC or something and the whole room like hush. And I look around and I was like, what's, what's going on? And he was like, man, we don't play that stuff here. <laughs> it's like, okay. So long story short, I got kind of like sucked into this other world of evangelistic Christianity. And, you know, I started reading like apologetics and, you know, I was all into defending the faith and this and oh, that. Yeah. And, uh, and it was, I mean, it's very intellectually stimulating, but, um, at some point I just feel like I, I recognize the, the hypocrisy and just like the lack of just the separation of it. Like it just yeah. seems so unnatural. And, and so I, I left for a while. And then when I came back, I started, uh, just noticing the, the ways that, Christianity and especially like um, mystic Christianity, like, like the work of Richard Rohr that points to like the, the early church and like the Franciscan order and the, the desert fathers and yeah. all this stuff that was not information that I was privy to in my you know, upbringing and just revealing this wealth of tradition that was there under my nose the whole time. And then tying that back to the, uh, the Eastern philosophy that I had started looking into on my own mm. you know, as a, as a young teen and just seeing parallels and just connecting the dots back and forth. And, and um, yeah. So did I answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so where was that? Like how long ago, just simple timeline, like how long ago did you feel like that it wasn't maybe the best community for your growth? Um, I probably, I, I left that kind of, uh, evangelistic scene, maybe like six or seven years ago. And then I was kind of like in no man's land for a while. Right. Uh, I would go to, you know, a, a, occasional church here and there, or sometimes I'd visit. Um, but I wasn't, you know, quote unquote, plugged in as, as the <laughs> Um, you know exactly what i'm talking about oh dude i know so much what you're talking about come to the small group we'll get you plugged in get you volunteering we'll take all your time it's great you know yeah, yeah. but the the rediscovering of the kind of like the mystical um pathway in christianity like the the core of it um was probably about honestly probably less than three years ago um, yeah. so I, I tend to move pretty fast conceptually. Like when I grab onto something, I just kind of like dive right into it. Same. And, <laughs> yeah. So. so you said, do uh, you think Richard Rohr was probably like the gateway into that then initially, or what was it that like brought you into a place of wanting to explore more of a experiential mystic, you know, tradition? You know, the funny thing is, and you're going to laugh. <laughs> Did you ever read like Christian fiction? Like, um, like, like left behind stuff or what? Yeah, well, no, like, like Frank Peretti. I, uh, yeah, that sounds so familiar. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't much of, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't much of a reader uh, growing up, you know, um, but I did have a Frank Peretti book that I probably read three pages in. Okay. Yes. That's a good place to stop. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I, I was into uh, Ted Decker when I was, you know, in, in the uh, evangelistic scene. 
And he's like, you know, a, a Christian writer that writes like fiction based on Christian ideas. And he's actually not a terrible writer, like for like, you know, for mystery kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and he came out with something recently and it, it popped up on my Facebook. Um, this is probably like three and a half, three years ago. And it was like the, the forgotten way, I think it was. And it was basically like his nonfiction foray into experiential Christianity uh, interpreting texts like uh, uh, metaphorically and diving into like the experience of what prayer even is. Mm. And so it kind of like gave me a little taste. And then, um, and then the next book I, I ended up reading was everything belongs by Richard Rohr. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's what he's trying to, to get at. Yeah. Yeah. And then everything just started falling into place. And I, you know, would read Cynthia Bourgeau, um, the heart of centering prayer. And so that, then I started my centering prayer practice and, um, and yeah, I've been reading pretty voraciously since then. Um, yeah. So, so, and then I'm curious too, like with, with, and just where I've been, like, you know, it's, it's a similar trajectory. I mean, I grew up not only in more of a just like Bible believing sort of thing uh, in a very like attractional mega church model, but with that was a more charismatic bend to all of that too. So like I did have exposure to more experiential Christianity, except it wasn't in the sense of like the mystics. It was in the sense of like, you know, Pentecostalism, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just kind of maybe tamed down a little bit. Like nobody was hitting anybody with jackets. They were just like, you know, putting their hands on people's foreheads, you know, like more calmly. <laughs> and so the olive oil on your forehead with the, sometimes we would anoint with oil, you know, but it, not as often it was, it was a really laid back. The church movement that I come from was birthed out of like the, the Jesus movement, you know, back in the sixties and seventies. So like, it was more about just like this, like, Hey, kumbaya sort of style, like guy with acoustic guitar around a campfire, like, you know, singing boyfriend songs to Jesus and then praying for each other and being like ridiculously open to spiritual movings, just not only in Christianity, but all over in the sixties and seventies. I think that's what a lot of people don't want to admit about like the third wave charismatic that birthed out of there. It's like not just Christianity, but like, everywhere was experiencing like when Ram Dass was coming in back from India and teaching like things, wild things were happening. You know, it's like, wasn't just them, but I don't want to burst anybody's bubble here, but uh, I was exposed to an experiential Christianity like that. And um, even, I guess I can say publicly, but like, I mean, like I've been like laid out in the spirit before, you know, and like all this stuff and like shaking and everything, you know, uh, point being is that I was exposed to a new type of experiential Christianity, a different mm-hmm. vein, a less like needing physical manifestation to know that it's experience. You know, that was the only barometer for if something was working in someone's life is if something was like somebody was shaking or falling over or, you know, yelling uncontrollably or laughing uncontrollably or whatever. Um, so essentially uh, the bridge that I was making there was just like, different kinds of experiential Christianity and then making the connection from like 
experiential and mystic, you know, like that was something, I don't know. Did you read Richard Rohr's book, The Naked Now? Oh yeah. Yeah. I loved that one. And that's, I loved like his connection that like mystic is more of an experiential. It's a fully embodying sort of spirituality and Christian spiritual life, you know? Um, yeah. So learning, cause after that, like super charismatic experience, I got very just theological and heady and, you know, moved away from thought anything that was experiential was emotional and you can't trust your emotions. You can only trust your intellect. Right. And so come full circle now to a more experiential faith, but not necessarily in like a, you know, power way. Although it's uncanny how similar like Kundalini power is with charismatic church, but that's another conversation for another time. (laughs) So my question is like, when you, we're beginning to live more into a mystic Christianity and you began to see themes with some of the more Eastern teachings that you were reading in your earlier years. Like how big of a jump was that for you to begin to embrace some of the practices and traditions, you know, from other faiths or other religions? And do you even, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm just assuming by what you asked me on direct messenger, but you know, where do you find yourself in the whole mix of, world religions and, and the divine. Yeah. I mean, I, like, like I said, when I was, uh, uh, in my early teens, I would, before we got into the uh, evangelistic scene, I would do Zen type meditation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that was kind of home for me. And so once that left, or once I had to leave that, um, I kind of, had that that craving and and I was part of like a a more like a charismatic type church too and so um we had you know hour long worship experiences and okay. sometimes the the pastor just like would just say like I'm not preaching today we're just going to keep you know just going <laughs> to keep jamming with the holy spirit and 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 I mean like at the time like I thought it was awesome I thought it was great and and looking back like I have mad love for all those people. Um, they're all very good people. Um, I just think it can be a little misplaced, um, because there's no transformative element to it really. It's just kind of, um, I I read an article recently that called it masturbatory worship. Right. Uh, So like we kind of like think that we're appeasing some, God somewhere out there that needs or wants or deserves our, our praises. And really it's just kind of to get an emotional high ourselves. And I mean, I, I, I'll be the first one to admit I was, uh, I was partial to that emotional high. Um, yeah, I still, I still love listening to, you know, like, like Bethel and the, uh, you know, the big Hillsong type, um, uh, worship groups just because there's there's an affect in there that's moving and that's contagious um but for me i found that it was always kind of like you you had to look the part you had to participate in what it looked, what it looked like to worship. And if you didn't look like how everyone else looked like, you know, with the hands raised or, you know, prostrate or whatever, then, then you weren't responding correctly to the gospel. And 
so for me, uh, the, the Eastern practices and everything that I, that I did years and years ago um, connects with mystic Christianity in that it's about, um, it's about resting and about just simply being and, and that being leads to transformation and doesn't seclude you from the rest of the world, but ties you more intimately to it. Yeah. And it's, it's a more holistic type of experiential faith. That's not divorced from, uh, like an intellectual mode, but it's the other side of the coin. It's, it's both. And, and so, um, yeah, like the work of Richard Rohr, um, helped, uh, awaken me to that. And, and I wouldn't call myself, I guess it depends on who asks me, but I don't go around calling myself a Christian anymore. Right. Cause the label to me isn't helpful most of the time. Um, because most of the time with, with how most Christians are today, you say you're a Christian and people automatically assume that you, you vote red and that right. are for, you know, a 1900 mile wall separating our Southern neighbors and, and this yeah. and that. And that's just not, not how I prefer to, to label myself. So, um, and a lot of people uh, try to label me like a mystic too, but that kind of, that can kind of put me off in a way too, because I always feel like uh, mysticism isn't something that you put on. It's not like a, a Jersey that like, okay, you're, you're now on team mystic. Right. Uh, and to me, it's, it's a taking off of the Jersey entirely. You mm-hmm. know, you don't belong to a team like the Buddhists call it being an unlabeled bottle. Yes. So, Yeah. And that's what's hard too, and that I've been reconciling because like you and probably most people listening, you know, we've avoided the term Christian and have been trying to reconcile where we're at and what labels would best fit our values and beliefs and convictions. Because that's really what it is. It's like, it's a trying to figure out what out there can adequately, you know, define in a very short you know, word or two, you know, what I fundamentally believe is true about myself and the world. Right. And, uh, it's a hard thing to do. Um, and so I've recently in the past year have come back around to embracing even just the term of Christianity. And it's, it's funny that you say that just because even the term mystic, like that's originally, that's like the only word that helped me become more comfortable, you know, cause even like I was at a staff meeting yesterday, we were talking about using other language other than progressive Christianity. And I was, you know, saying maybe we should be using terms more like expansive, you know, inclusive. And they, that's, they've already been using inclusive, but more of an expansive theology. Cause then for me too, I'm like, well, that has political connotations. Progressive does, you know? So mystic has this, like this way of defining it, but exactly what you just said, it's hard for me to like, even like on my Instagram, I say mystic Christianity and people all the time, or what do you mean by that? What are you trying to define yourself by using that? It's like, well, it's hard because like you just greatly articulated, it's actually the opposite. It's what I'm trying to take off about it, you know, about the Christianity, you know, but it's, it's difficult, you know, it's difficult to find what words can best sum up, essentially sum you up which is never fun, you know? 
Um, but I found, you know, and part of that too is like an interfaith spirituality, which is, you know, made me not friends with some people, just not by me, but just by disassociation. Um, and I think what I mean by that is just a more elaborative um, definition of mystic. You know, for me, mystic means that I am removing all barriers between myself and the divine and seeing the divine in all expressions of, of faith and divinity and you know um, that well, do you think you would probably agree with that or, or what do you what do you think whenever you think of like the difference between like mystic and interfaith and and stuff because it seems like you your crowd is that if i'm i don't know maybe i'm wrong but it seems like you appeal to that sort of more interfaith crowd how do you see mystic christianity and interfaith you know mingling and your thoughts on it yeah um I hate to use pop culture references, but <laughs> have you ever uh, seen the movie Silence by Scorsese? I'm not. Okay, definitely. I mean, you have to carve out a good, like, I think it's like three hours long or something ridiculous. Damn. <laughs> and it's very slow, which I love slow, you know, so, slow films. But, um, and I don't want to give it away for anyone that hasn't seen it. But basically, at the end of the movie, something happens that's counterintuitive to what you think is going to happen and what you think will redeem this character. And basically it's this act of letting go and which is the, you know, the, the process of kenosis of self emptying and which is attributed to Christ. And it's in this letting go that the character um, Andrew Garfield plays him basically releases and renounces even the label and even, and he becomes sort of apostate. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in that he completely uh, shows the the essence of of christ and what christ is and what christ does mm. is this continual letting go ad infinitum and so um the idea that there's an exclusive christianity club just doesn't make sense to me anymore because to me if i if if i were to define christian you know one who is like christ then it would mean the renunciation of all labels. Mm, yeah. And, um, and so like for me, like the term mystic goes back to um, the Greek mystikos, I think, which means to shut the mouth. Mm. And, and so it seems like th there's a lot of talking going on around mysticism around uh, <laughs> shutting the mouth. Um, but it's, it's all trying to point to that thing that we can't say because it's ineffable. Yeah. And, and so that's, I think what mysticism is for me and where it leads to the, the shutting of the mouth. When, once you, once you say all you can to realize that there's nothing you can say and, and that's present, that, that aspect is present in all uh, the major faith traditions, um, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, Hinduism, 
um, which isn't really a thing, but um, uh, Sufism, the esoteric path of Islam, um, native religion, there's, there's all this element of unknowing and of um, this learned ignorance and this like second naivete that is present everywhere. And so that, that element of like humility when it comes to the divine is I think the, the thread um, or like the, one of the main threads that can tie that interfaith posture together yeah. is that kind of everyone at some point in like the deepest depths of the tradition is like, man, I just don't know. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's where we can begin to sense and know the divine. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, it's, yeah. Uh, the cloud of unknowing says uh, when we reach the end of our knowledge, that's when we find God or something to that effect. Yeah. And, and that was written like, when was that written? Like 700 years ago, something like yeah. that. So, yeah, I think we're finally coming to a place where this is catching on and people are able to have things like this more accessible. I do think it's hysterical that we talk a lot about shutting the mouth. You know, I think that's just freaking hilarious, you know, yeah. uh, but at the same token too, it seems to me that there are a lot of people searching and seeking for ways that they can have a more integrated and holistic and experiential faith. Um, we've been, especially in the West, we've been fed such a entertainment version of mm -hmm. our faith. And I think that's like a really fine line because even you mentioned like Bethel and Hillsong and all that, you know, it's like, well, there is this like experiential side of that that can be really like, life-changing um yet at the same token it is this element of entertainment too mm -hmm. and so what i like about mysticism and things of that nature is it, it it completely rids any sort of fine line that you have to see it's it's there's no questioning is this life-changing or is this entertainment i mean there's no questioning when you get alone as jesus says you know go in your room and shut the door and pray to your father in heaven you know Mm -hmm. it's like there's no question about is this just simple entertainment that's like no this is simple engagement you know um with god um so i mean you seem super knowledgeable whenever it comes to centering prayer and meditation and seeing the bridge of all of those things even as you just explained like i love seeing that because i think anybody who really comes to a mature place begins to see this overarching arc not only just in our tradition of Christianity, but rather in the whole of all things that seek God, you know, and you begin to see that and you begin to see like what you said, it's been happening in, you know, marginalized circles of each tradition for thousands and thousands of years, you know, like somebody put on a, like Alan Watts group I'm a part of on Facebook, like, can uh, the Islamic faith really be, you know, like a, a true real life changing you know, thing like they were like asking that question and I just commented like you apparently don't know about the Sufis, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's like there's these marginalized groups in different traditions that finally are being able to be brought to the surface and people are able to see more than one stream of being. And um, sounds like your 
Methods podcast is trying to explore and experiment um, with this idea of meditation in different traditions using the medium of, you know, podcasting. Um, so what I want to start to wrap up with is just how you made that decision to take on this project and, you know, what, what you've seen with it already and what your hopes are for the Methods podcast uh, with your experience in meditation and using that as a mission. Yeah, well, it all, it all started with the first episode um, uh, on, on the podcast, which is, uh, which is out, um, and it's called The Last Supper, and it's kind of like a, uh, a combination of a few different like discursive prayer elements and then a parable by uh, the Dr. Peter Rollins, um, who is a philosopher that's uh, popularized for pyrotheology. And... Um, and so that was my first foray into it. We actually did a meditation kind of sampler type thing at, at our CBF church. And, and that was part of it. And, uh, we got to, you know, record a little bit of it and I got to voice some of the episodes. And then I I spoke to the pastor and I was like, I think I, I think I really am, am being drawn by this. And so he kind of was gracious enough to, to let me kind of take the reins and take it from there. Um, and I, I just wanted to put out resources for people to access that maybe are, are yearning for that experiential element um, that maybe are, are like the two of us that used to be part of a like charismatic church that was um, very focused on experience and maybe now we kind of miss that because we don't even know if we believe in God on any given day. Um, right. and so how can we pray to God or how can, you know, we, we meditate on a passage of scripture if we think that all the scripture is bullshit. Can I, I'm sorry. Can I curse on your show? explicit okay. show? Don't worry. Okay, cool. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just wanted to give resources for people that are genuine seekers and that are willing to seek truth wherever it comes from, because all truth is God's truth. And um, I wanted to give people um, an avenue to research however they best respond to God, whether that's through the name Yahweh, whether that's through the name Allah. Um, however, however they best conceptualize that. Um, because for me, I gain a lot of spiritual, uh, juju, so to speak from the iconoclasm, from the shattering of idols. That's why I love Peter Rollins so much. Um, and he talks about it in his book, the idolatry of God, that any kind of conception of God that we land on and we stick to is going to turn into an idol. And yeah. so the only way to stay true is to continually burn it down. And so for me, that's part of where the Methods uh, podcast grew out of was this idea of let's, let's use a different name for God every week. Mm-hmm. And, and so we can start to break down this idea that our conception of God is the conception of God. Mm realize that there's thousands and that they're all based in the same truth. Yes. 
you can kind of see through that illusion of separation between myself or from my Muslim neighbor or from my Sikh coworker or what have you. Yes. I love that so much. And it's, to me, it's like such an opportune time to be doing that right now. I think we're, you know, we have some great people that have gone before us like Peter Rollins and Rob Bell, just like to name some really big names, but a lot of other people who may not be on that, you know, popularity scale, but like, I think that we're entering into this like next, I don't, it's not a full generation yet, but like really this whole move started with the emergent church back in the early two thousands and, you know, people that really caught a lot of shit for it, like Rob Bell, um, you know, in the two thousands and the early, you know, part of the teens here, I think that we are propositioning ourselves to, use things um, like with what you're doing and hopefully with what I'm doing to help people break into a more expansive place and uh, you know, build on the backs of people like Brian McLaren and everybody. And so I think your podcast has been helpful for me. One, it's just done so well <laughs> and, and it's not distracting. That's a big thing too. So a lot of podcasts that focus on meditation or contemplative stuff, they're, they're kind of distracting, whether if it's the the person leading it or the quirky music or the bad recording or whatever it is, like just quick compliment. You do really well with what you do. Um, and the, it's, the content is timely for us to really push the next, push through the next ceiling when it comes to a more expansive theology. And so I appreciate the work you're doing and I appreciate that you reached out to me, man, because that's what is the beauty of social media is you get to meet new people and, and meet people that are trying to make the same sort of impact in the world and open our awareness of the divine. And sounds like you're on the right track of uh, keeping that up. So don't stop, man. <laughs> I'll try not to. I'll try not to. It's hard. Sometimes you want to, sometimes, you know, you put all, all you have into something and then like people are like, eh, that's all right. But yeah, it happens, man. It happens like that sometimes. And, and, and you're doing awesome stuff too. I mean, I, I was really inspired by, by the, uh, the groups that you had done, you know, the, uh, the local prayer groups and stuff. And I think that was one of the first messages I sent you was asking about that. So that's really yeah. inspiring. I'd love to do something like that in my area. There's not a lot of draw for it, which is kind of why I took to the, you know, the social media and the internet to try and cast a wider net. But, but yeah. Yeah, it's hard, man. I mean, I did the did a meditation group here for a little bit and uh it's it's a hard nut to crack, you know, especially too, I mean, I have the Chopra Center like literally six miles away from me, you know, that offers free meditation and it's like, you know, amazing. But even at that, so my wife went Saturday morning to the free meditation and on a Saturday morning at the Chopra Center for free, there's still only twenty people there, you know. So it's like, it's, it's hard to, to, you know, you know what it's like, together. it's like, it's like a little bit of yeast in a loaf of bread. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. I like the parable. I think we should end with that because <laughs> it's good. It's good. Thank you, Jory, for being on spiritual nomad. And, uh, what I think might be cool to do is right here. Um, maybe if you would like, maybe one of 
your episodes that you really enjoy. Maybe you could just send me a portion of it or the whole thing, whatever you want. And maybe here at the end, um, I can do a transition and people can get into a posture of meditation with one of your segment or a whole of one of your episodes. Would you be okay with that? Yeah, that'd be awesome for sure. That way people don't have to go clicking around. They can get a little taste of it right here. And yeah, exactly. See how you like it. You know, if it works for you, it works for you. If it doesn't, there's dozens of other types of meditation on there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Cool. So stick around and, uh, and we'll do some meditation. Cool. Well, so sadly, I was unable to get that track here for you to experience the Methods podcast, but I will certainly have that link down below to go check out the Methods podcast. I highly recommend it. It'll be a great meditation. And thank you for listening to the Spiritual Nomad podcast. And don't forget to subscribe and join me on Instagram. See you next time.